All right, so this is a bonus episode of The Contrarians. Bonus episode number two. Yes, bonus episode number two, a little longer, but not as long as our other episodes, and also a little different in format, just because we're going to not break the rules, but kind of bend them. Because of the release of the fifth uh, Mission Impossible movie, I actually was able to attend a marathon of the first four Mission Impossible movies. And I came out of that marathon with a lot of thoughts and a lot of opinions and actually tweeted some of them. And then at some point, somebody tweeted back at me and said, hey, shouldn't you do like an episode of The Contrarians about this? And I was like, oh, that's that's a great idea. Except that when I looked at the Rotten Tomatoes scores, I was surprised by, I guess, I expected the first movie to rank higher, have a higher score, and the second movie to rank lower. Because as we were just talking right before we started recording it seems generally accepted the first movie is really good and the second movie is really bad mm-hmm. and and then from then on everybody loves the last three mission possible three uh the jj abrams directed one is at 70 percent, and then ghost protocol and this new one rogue nation they're both at 93 or 94 percent right now directed by brad bird and uh christopher mcquarrie but anyway the idea is that we couldn't do i would have loved to do an actual episode of mission possible 2 Mm-hmm. Because I think that if he had had a really low score, we could have just spent a whole episode dissecting dissecting that movie and, and really explaining how it really works. But at the same time, I don't really feel that strongly about it to make you know devote that entire great episode, a great episode uh, yeah. to it. So instead, let's look at the whole franchise because general people like Mission Impossible movies and they seem to me like uh, they're, they've been fooled by by the Hollywood machine. And they think that this is... A good franchise when really the despised one, the second movie, is the only one that really sees through all the bullshit that the rest of the movies are trying to sell you. Now, I went to that marathon. You didn't, Alex. In fact, I did not. Yeah, you you just told me that you haven't even seen Ghost Protocol. I have not. Is it still on Netflix? I don't know. Maybe, maybe. But I read it as it being maybe subconsciously you pulled away from the franchise because you realized that the third movie was not as good as the second one and that allow you to disengage the only real reason i remember going to see the third one was because philip seymour hoffman was in it a good reason i think that that's that probably he's the highlight of that movie really he and it's worth watching i guess because of him especially now that he's gone yeah two was like a happening you know when it came out it was the movie but also the cultural event that was the release of the mission impossible 2 soundtrack featuring take a look around by limp biscuit and i disappear by metallica that was big shit that was big talk on the none of the other mission impossible movies can boast that Limp Bizkit and Metallica, both relevant at the time, both relevant still. Absolutely. Just ask the people who really know what's up. I really want to focus on a Mission Impossible 2 because that's the one that obviously it's despised and we are contrarian, so we're going to tell them why it's good. But let's let's start with a little bit of history. So let's start with the first one. What do you remember from the first one? I remember John Voight, you know, double crossing. I remember the big train sequence, which was really cool. I remember Emilio Estevez getting squashed like a like a bug. And I remember the game for PlayStation. I played it all the time. And I remember how bland the guy looked on it because... Uh, he was not Tom Cruise. Much like when the Minority Report video game was released, which was a lot of fun too, Tom Cruise refused to license anything like his likeness to the video game industry. So the main characters just look really weird. He was just like a Miles Teller lookalike. Exactly. He's just like, it could be anybody. Yeah, and I just remember watching the first one a lot on VHS when I was a little kid, but, you know, his hair was really boring. It wasn't quite like it was in the second one. Well, yeah, the second one has the luscious long hair that it just has a performance of its own. I agree. What do you remember of the third one? I remember Philip Seymour Hoffman being really good. Michelle Monaghan gets killed, but not really. 
Uh, obviously, the iconic image of Carrie Russell uh, yes. with the thing going off in her brain. That was... We've used numerous times. Yeah, absolutely. I remember the action being good, but I really remember Philip Seymour Hoffman being the only thing that stands out, aside from the awful, awful line of Tom Cruise climbing like this brick wall and he gets to the wall. He says, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Yes. That is a movie that's played straight in the movie, not as a, as a comedic moment. But no, it, yeah. It's just like he's being really clever. It's awful. One. Which it kind of brings me back to the point of the second one is full of those ridiculous moments but the entire time you know that they know the second one is stood with me uh, if for nothing else that i'm afraid of cigar cutters the henchman gets his like his finger his thumb cut off with one, right, right yeah yeah, yeah. He, that, it actually becomes a plot point later on because that's how they realize you know at some point tom cruise is impersonating the henchman and then the guy realizes he has all his fingers so it's yeah. like, oh that's not true so every um, time i've seen a cigar cutter i kind of he just the dark side of you like trembles because it knows it'll be discovered uh yeah basically you can go by by the rule of the first movie is supposed to be the smart one where really what it really is it's the really confusing one and generally except for the third movie all the mission possible movies are really confusing as far as plot i i watched them back to back and i had the chance to watch the fifth one uh not long ago uh, i'm not going to spoil anything we're not going to talk about the fifth one that much but right. but really they all have really complex plots just bordering and sometimes even going over the line on ridiculous. Then the amount of, of things that, that Ethan Hunt and his team has to go through, all the loops they have to jump through, it's they're just not practical. Generally, it's just like the filmmakers are complicating things for no reason. That's certainly true of the first one. It reaches a new height on the second one, but the, the second one, there's this self-awareness where they realize how ridiculous the whole thing is. Yeah. So It's like they try to outdo the Matrix. Yes, exactly. How do you outdo the Matrix? Well, you just, you just make fun of the matrix while doing a serious movie yes so so that's good so the first one has ethan hunt on the run from uh his business his his organization uh mif the mission impossible force all the movies in the franchise have ethan either on the run or cut off from mif except for the second one all all the movies have at some point ethan going on the run or just being cut off because mif is compromised in some sort or he has to be exiled for some reason the only movie where he has full access to mif's resources through the entire movie is the second one so you could in a way say that the second movie is the one where you get the truest ethan hunt because yeah. he's not under pressure of surviving on his wit or anything this is just regular regular life for ethan hunt is what it's like in mission impossible 2 he's plugged in exactly he, he has he, there's no limit to what he can do and this happens to be the movie where he's a complete dick he because there's no pressure on him. You get to see his true self, and his true self is he's cocky, he's irresponsible, he puts people in danger, and he gets by on a lot of luck. There's a lot of of, of moments where he just, by the grace of God, survives. Yeah. And yet, this is the guy that they're trying to sell you as a superhero, pretty much in all the other movies. He treats I don't know if you remember how much you remember Sandy Newton as the as the love interest in the second one it's a huge thing in, uh, in Mission Impossible 2 this connection that he has he's sent at the beginning of the movie he's sent to retrieve to recruit basically Tandy Newton, Newton he's a thief he doesn't know what the mission is going to be but they sent him to recruit her and when he does they have a connection and they fall in love and the rest of the movie is him and Tandy Newton being in love but of course the mission requires him to send her to seduce her ex-boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> and so there's that whole thing of like, I love her, but I need her to fuck this guy who's who's a horrible person. Something we're all very accustomed to. Well, yeah, even more so than that, it's just it reveals how much of an asshole Ethan Hunt is. Mm. You know, he just he just doesn't care about her feelings. He guilt trips her into doing this because oh, you have to save the world, so you need to have sex with this guy again. 
and uh, and the guy is, is portrayed as being a, a, a terrible person, and uh, he puts her life in danger and lives of his team in danger because of course he can't completely get rid of of his feelings for her. So that means that even though he has the full resources of IMF at his disposal, he's the most connected, most plugged in than you know in the entire series. This is the one movie where he does the worst job he he allows himself to be handicapped by his feelings he needs did. that pressure yeah yeah he needs that pressure but i think that what really happened was that you know each movie in the series is directed by, by a different person so brian de palma got the first one john will get the second one third one is jj abrams the, second, the fourth one is brad bird and this new one is McQuarrie. i think john will saw through the bullshit of mission impossible he could just tell that it was just this sort of american dream of, of a police force that goes around causing collateral damage with no consequences with this cocky American as, you know, the star. And he decided to make a movie where he was just going to make fun of that. And you can tell that, obviously, Wu is in on the joke. Tom Cruise thinks he's doing a badass movie. Ving Rhames, who's one member of his team, he kind of tells halfway through the movie, I think he figured out that, oh, shit, this is not like the first Mission Impossible movie. We're actually doing a parody. The third member of his team is this Australian guy that I've never seen again. So I think that the guy was just in for the paycheck. The real proof that this was just like them fucking around is Anthony Hopkins, yeah. who shows up for two scenes as, as Tom Cruise's boss. And you can tell that he's just slumming it. He, he doesn't <laughs> care. He comes in, he blabs some dialogue that's supposed to move the plot along and then he disappears he never shows up for another movie again because I'm sure in Hopkins' mind this was just like a scary movie or like epic movie or whatever it's like oh, we're just making fun of Mission Impossible <laughs> do you do you even remember Anthony Hopkins from the second movie no I don't I, I wouldn't blame you because he just he doesn't make any sort of impression why would you cast Anthony Hopkins and not give him anything memorable to do I don't know. You're just fucking around with the audience. That's yeah. why you're John Woo and you're like, fuck you. You know, there's this thing about John Woo and doves. You know, John Woo movie will have slow motion action sequences and they'll have like lots of doves like flying around. And he does it here. Like doves play a, an integral point in, in the scene in the movie. And that's, again, I think that's him fucking with people because they don't make, it doesn't make any sense yet. He's just, oh, that's what you want from me? I'll give you that. I'll give you that in slow motion. You have doves flying around while Ethan Hunt is fighting with people. And there's the other thing, like the fighting. In every other Mission Impossible movie, Ethan Hunt is very efficient when he fights. But this is the one movie where he just stretches it out. He has plenty of opportunities to take care of, a, of an opponent right away. But instead, he allows these fight sequences to go on for minutes and minutes and minutes. And that is John Woo telling you, well, that's your American hero. He's arrogant and he is... Overindulgent. Overindulgent. He just, it's just like Tom Cruise jerking off in an action <laughs> sequence. And there's, there's casualties, not just on the level of the movie, but on the level of careers. Like I said, that Australian guy, I never saw him in anything again. Never recovered. If Andy Newton never recovered from that either I think you know she's she's still around but she never became the superstar that you thought that that Mission Impossible movie would make her mm -hmm. so it's overall real sad I don't know if Limp Bizkit or Metallica knew what they were signing up for when they did but regardless they produced great work yeah especially in the case of Limp Bizkit well yeah the first movie has this really boring take on the original Mission Impossible theme mm -hmm. is by uh, The Edge and uh, whatever the other guy is the guy that plays bass and you two yeah they do the, the theme but it's really nothing new they're just playing you know a, a basically a, a very a modern updating but there's nothing new whereas the the Mission Impossible theme that filters through the Limp Bizkit. Through the guitar of Wes Borland is just fantastic. Yes. Yeah. How did you end up buying the, the, the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack? It was like a big deal. I would have been in 8th grade, I think, when that came out. It would have been like the summer of 8th grade. It was a big deal. It was like a cultural happening. Limp Bizkit was on top of the world. Metallica was still cool. And 
Yeah, you weren't a cool kid if you didn't have the Mission Impossible 2 soundtrack. Did you sing along with the Limp Bizkit? Absolutely, I still do. Yeah, I think that was like the last big soundtrack. I remember being a kid, like soundtracks were a huge deal. And that was the last big one that I can remember. That one, The Matrix, and then Godzilla in 97 was a big one too. Still is. Of course, you're a big Godzilla fan. We all know this. Absolutely. I don't remember seeing a music video for the Limp Bizkit song. I remember the music it exists. video for it. Does yeah. it was it in rotation a lot, and I just missed it because I remember seeing the Metallica video a lot. The Metallica one was way more prevalent, where they're like on the hilltops and plateaus playing the song and everything. Yeah, being way too old to be doing what they're doing. But yeah, I had never seen a Limp Bizkit video until I looked it up on YouTube just last week. So it wasn't really in rotation. I'm glad they made it. It least. wasn't like Nookie. It didn't have the airplay to that. Right. No, they had their own their own thing to promote. They were not going to promote the movie any more than just being in it. Yeah. Going back to, to the movie Ruining Careers, did you know that the guy, the bad guy that plays, uh, you know, the main opponent in Mission Impossible 2, Doug Ray Scott, he was supposed to play Wolverine. He was cast as Wolverine in the wow. first X-Men movie. And he gave up the role so he could be on Mission Impossible 2. Wow. I did not know that. He has to live with that for the rest of his life. Jesus. <laughs> Every time he's this huge Jagman at his career, he's just, fuck that guy. And of course... That's destiny, though. I yeah. really can't imagine Wolverine being anyone but Hugh Jackman at this right point. Right, at this point. But you maybe, you know, time, in a different timeline, you couldn't think of anybody but Doug Ray Scott to be, uh, to be Wolverine. But again, it's sad because I don't think that he was aware of the movie that he was getting into he didn't realize that they were going into a parody of mission impossible yeah he was like oh i'm gonna be the new bad guy john void was the bad guy in the last one so uh yeah i'll go for it it's clear it's a parody again going back to the to the aussie guy the, the australian guy that they have here that guy's a joke do you even remember him no you remember ving rames but you remember yeah. The other... yeah so this guy i hadn't even remember him either until i saw the movie again and he's just the most stereotypical Australian guy ever. He is like crikey and mate, and he's completely ineffectual. He has you could remove him from the movie and nothing would happen. Compare him to all the other sidekicks besides being Rames that they're being on the series, and you know everybody else makes a difference, makes an impact and a positive impact. You want to see them in the next movie, where it's like you're happy that this guy's not in the next movie. And that is again John Woo making fun of the franchise. He he wants to show that. Ethan Hunt, it doesn't matter who's working with him. He's supposed to be so infallible that it doesn't matter. You can put like an Australian bumpkin there and, and he's still going to get the job done. And I think that's actually the main reason why John Wood didn't get invited to direct again when they did the next one. He was just too disrespectful with the franchise to our benefit because I think that just shines a light for the rest of us on what the flaws are of the of the following movies and, and the one that came before. There's this thing throughout Mission Impossible 2, I don't know if you remember, the thing with the masks where they constantly, they, they played that reveal of like, oh, it wasn't that person. It was just a mask and it was somebody else. Yeah, they use that in three also, don't they? In three, they do it once. Okay. Uh, well, twice, I guess, if you count Philip Seymour Hoffman. In Mission Impossible 2, they do it at least four times. It's just, it, it, it's insane. It, which, it's a very true, truthful commentary on that universe, which is, if you have the technology to pretend to be anyone, why don't you be doing that all the time? Yeah. You know, wouldn't that make your job a lot easier? It would make it easier to the point of it being silly, which is what Mission Impossible does, the Mission Impossible 2 does. All the other movies, they kind of play along, and you're wondering, why didn't you put on the mask already, if you have that technology yeah. available? Again, that that is just... I give credit to John Woo, who I would imagine at that point was very frustrated with the American market and just kind of not not feeling it and felt the need to lash out. They offered him Mission Possible 2, thinking that he was going to do a straight-up action movie, and instead he just gave everybody a giant middle finger. Using, oh. like, one of America's most celebrated actors. Exactly. And then 
unfortunately for him, even if the critics were not too kind on it, they didn't get the joke. The audience just flocked to the movie theaters, and it was a huge hit anyway. Yeah. So I guess John Woo was just, well, fuck it. I guess I'll do Windwalkers now. Windtalkers. <laughs> yeah, that opening scene with Ethan uh, rock climbing was like, huge like everyone's like how do you do that i remember watching that before the movie came out just playing it because it was, that was like the original teaser trailer or yeah. whatever and it would just be uh and again that's that's what telling you what kind of movie he's making from the beginning because it ends with even throwing his sunglasses to the screen and they explode yeah if you didn't know what you're in for there <laughs> a, a slap in the face isn't gonna help you yeah that, that's you need to know from the beginning and it's really long too that was like a fucking long movie considering how how little happens, you know, because once they, once he has the girl, once the bad guy has the girl, it's just Ethan trying to like break in and get the virus and get out. But most of the running time is just fight scenes. And I actually read that the the original cut was like three and a half hours. Wow. And, and that's why there's so many plot holes in the movie, because John Wood had to cut it down to a manageable time. Can you imagine cutting like an hour and a half of, of content and then still having it? Makes sense. Just ask Zack Snyder or Judd Aptow because they have to do it every film they make. <laughs> but they don't. Yeah, <laughs> they, they just leave. They add more. On well, no, end. that Watchmen Ultimate Cut is supposed to be like five hours long. Have you seen it? No. Oh, well. I've seen the director's cut, which is three and a half, and that's enough. Watchmen, I guess we will have to dedicate a gray area to that, just thinking of it because it's somewhere in the middle. But that's neither here nor there. Well, yeah, yeah. Lengthwise, I guess we'll just use it as a reference. But yeah, uh, no Mission Impossible movie should be more than two hours, and. Uh, all of them are, but at least the second one has a purpose, yeah. which is making fun of Makes girl. a statement. Yes, it makes a statement. Do you have anything else to add about Mission Impossible? Not really. Now I want to go back and rewatch the second one, which fortunately <laughs> I own on DVD. Uh, this has been an eye-opening experience. Yeah, I never really got around to seeing Ghost Protocol, and now I don't really have the urge to go see the Rogue Squadron or whatever. Which one has Leah Sadu in it? Ghost Protocol. Might, might have to check that out. She plays, yeah, she plays an assassin, and uh, she's she gets to kill at the beginning. There's no spoiler. She gets to kill uh, Josh Holloway, who's uh, the guy from Lost. Oh, you what, haven't seen Lost. So. Which one's Daniel Craig? And Daniel Craig's in the next one. Oh, okay. Because you know the next one is MI6, which is also the you know the organization that Bond works for. Brilliant. Yes, a friend of mine tweeted that, and I was just like, "Dude, you know Ethan Hunt is gonna beat the shit out of James <laughs> Bond. There's no contest there." Which I'll be, I'll be surprised if they actually did it. But if they did it, that would be that movie would make so much money. Forget about Batman versus Superman. Dude, no shit. No real sense needs to be made. It would just cream at the box office. Now, it would more, probably also be better than Batman versus Superman. I don't know. Maybe they'll get Zack Snyder to direct it. And to be fair, the best of both worlds. Let me think of things that are better than Batman vs. Superman having not seen it. On a more uh, real talk side of it, though, there is one thing that's worth mentioning, which is really all five movies track the growth of Ethan Hunt as a person. In a very, you know, you don't even notice it until you watch him back to back. But you have him, you know, in the first one, he's kind of like this happy-go-lucky spy that you kind of assume that the first movie is the first time that something goes really bad for him. Mm -hmm. Then in the second one... He's like, oh, he survived that, so he's just like really cocky and arrogant and, and just having fun and being an asshole to everybody. Finds true love with uh, Danny Newton. Then the third one, he settles down. He's growing into adulthood. You know, he gets married in the third one. Michelle Monaghan. Michelle Monaghan. Like, just, just hands him down. The old ball and chain. Just, you think that the last one, that, that third one would end, you know, it's just like a happy ending and that would be it. Yeah. The fourth one, this is not a spoiler because it happens really early on. 
but the fourth one his marriage is done which is like the next stage in the life of a male I guess you just unless you stay married forever there comes a point where your marriage is no more and his attitude reflects that so whereas like the Ethan Hunt of the third one is just kind of a happy positive guy in the fourth one he's just in a dark place his hair is longer but no longer for the for the fun times of season two where he's just a rebel <laughs> now it's, it's, it's longer with grief and there's there's this undercurrent of sadness in the fourth movie and then the fifth one again this is not a spoiler this is just something that, that happens early on and, and it's just kind of a, a feeling from the week not plot points but there's this feeling on the fifth one that he's just old not old where he's obsolete but he's older now he, he's sort of this legend he, he runs into an agent that tells him like and more than once actually in the movie they recognize who he is and they're like oh you're Ethan Hunt you, you, this guy you know he's it's just he's getting older and, and Cruz is older he's like in his 50s now it's funny because when Ghost Protocol came out they announced that uh, Jeremy Renner was in it and yeah. everybody was like oh this is the movie where he takes over there was like a little bit of speculation about maybe Ethan Hunt not making it alive in this movie and that you know, him passing the torch to Jeremy Renner well that doesn't happen obviously because there's a Mission Impossible 5 yeah but in this one, Mission Impossible 5, I actually got the feeling that, oh, they really are setting him up to be done. Because the movie also makes it a point of saying his luck can only go so far. I think that Mission Impossible 5 is the, the movie where he gets saved the most by other people. <laughs> so if anything, I was expecting a passing of the torch more in, in the fifth movie than the fourth one. I'm not going to spoil it for you and tell you if it happens or not. But it's... I think it's it's kind of crazy because it's not something that they publicize when they're selling you the movie, mm-hmm. and it's certainly something that not something that you think of when you think of the franchise. Because you think of the movies, they you think of them as standalone movies for the most part. Yeah. But here, when you take a, a look at all five together, there is actually an arc. I, I I was telling somebody yesterday that I used to think that Ethan Hunt's characterization was just kind of all over the place in the movies, but when you watch them in order, no, there's a progression there, and that's actually really cool. That's so on a real talk moment, I would say. This is actually a pretty awesome franchise. <laughs> Except for the second movie, which fucking sucks. Yeah, I need to rewatch the first three and then go see the last two. Yeah, I do remember the second one being really bad. I remember Philip Seymour Hoffman being awesome in the third one. He's just so good. Every movie that he's in, he's just so yeah, good. Yeah, that's man. unfair. He's he's one of those guys that's just fucking great and everything. There's a moment in the third one, I don't know if you remember, when um, I posted on Twitter a couple days ago that, that was like my favorite moment in the third movie. And it's just so low-key. They just kidnap... Phil Seymour Hoffman like they, they knocked him out and then Tom Cruise is wearing the, the Phil Seymour Hoffman ma- mask and so they park on top of a manhole and the, the bottom of their car slides out so there's an exit at the bottom of the car and the manhole is open and Bing Rames is waiting for them underneath and he just looks up and Tom Cruise as Phil Seymour Hoffman looks down and he looks at him and he's like what's up <laughs> and Bing Rames looks up at him and replies not much what's up with you <laughs> it's it's so perfect it, it has they could have taken that out and the movie would still be the same but yeah. it's just it's just such a funny moment and there's re-watching all five movies there's so many funny moments like that that are not hanging a lamp on like oh haha, we're doing comedy but it's just like little moments where the action stops and they say something funny or witty and then it just keeps going yeah so uh, I, I that's another reason why I really like the franchise so go see Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. Fuck yeah, go see Rogue Nation if you want to enjoy the full thing. You can skip Mission Impossible 2, but watch 1, 3, and 4 first. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, yeah, it's certainly worth it. Uh, it comes, and Ambrose, he comes, jumps yeah. right okay. over the okay. hill. John, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. It's a crazy thought. I just got this idea. But uh, what if when Tom jumps off of the bike, 
and when they're both coming at each other, if right before, and this is just something just flew in my head here, if he turns to camera and goes, this mission, it just got a hell of a lot more impossibler. Boom, then you do the hit. Think about it. Go away. Sometimes I go with things, and sometimes I, you know, I, I mean, mostly, yeah, I don't go with things. But sometimes, you know, it's, it, I don't want to, you know, you never know. It's, uh, it's, he's, listen, <clears throat> he's harmless. I would, uh, I would uh, definitely say that Tom's uh, celebrity has affected my life in, in both good and bad ways. I mean, it's hard for for both of us, another? really. Can you do another? I mean, maybe it's a little harder for Tom, but it's probably almost as hard for me. Uh, I'll get doubles, all right? Yeah. Okay. You know, sometimes it's a little crazy to think about, and uh, that's when we all have to kind of walk away and, uh, you know, stick our heads in the water and just kind of shake them out and then say, wait a minute, you know, what time is it, and uh, where do I go to get lunch? <laughs> I'm going uh, to go get a uh, bagel. Yeah. You want something? Uh, no, I'm good, Tom. All right, okay. I'm good. I'm good. All right, all right, all right okay. We've worked together for so long now, it's almost like... Uh, I don't know, it's kind of like we, we almost finish each other's sentences, kind of. I, I mean, I don't, I don't think we've ever finished each, each other's, other's sentences. sentences. <laughs> <laughs>